Let me be your shelter. I love that song. Um, um, I, I heard this fascinating um, story about a place where there is the most concentrated men of this elite club, centenarians. Let me know what a centenarian is. It's this elite club of those who have lived beyond 100. So how many of you know someone that is is beyond 100? Anybody? There's a couple of you out there. So there's this, there's this elite club, and there's, this, there's a place in the world that there's this group of men of the greatest concentration of men who have lived over 100. And there was a doctor who wanted to do a study on this, Susan Pickner, and she did research. And what she found out was very interesting. Um, and, and the place where this was, and, and it's not, the reason why they lived over 100 is probably not what you, what you think. But here is the greatest concentration of centenarians in the world, and it's an island off of the country of Italy. Amen. Everybody say amen. If you're Italian, you like this, right? And it's Sardinia, and many of these men, uh, many of them, you know, they walk like five miles a day. Uh, some are sheep herders. Um, what they've noticed about the study of these men is that many of their daughters uh, take care of them in their older age. Lily, uh, just don't forget that, okay? Um, it, it's actually a place where men live as long as women. And it wasn't just genes or their diet. What they found out was 75% of it had everything to do with living in a close community. That's what they found out. And, and, and they were always surrounded by family and friends. The research actually showed that those that lived the longest had one common link, and that was socialization. So I want to show you, this is what it looks like on the island of Sardinia. I'm going to picture right there. There they are. There they are. They're playing bocce. Got their tank tops on. That is me in 10 years, okay? I'm just showing you. There's me right there. I'm dreaming of that day, right? So really, the common thread they found was that these men loved to play bocce together, and they lived over 100 years old. All these guys right here, all these guys are over 100 years old right there. No, I don't know if they are or not. But, but it's just amazing to me um, that this island produces these men that live so long. And what they found out is this family closeness and friends and um and they found out that this was the key to this longevity it's it's this genuine relationship this face-to-face relationship they actually said that loneliness was actually detrimental to longevity so the bottom line of this research was this for those that lived over a hundred and this commonality of living over to 100, what they found out, the bottom line was this, friendships. It was friendships. And, and we're in this series this summer, looking at the person of David and, and what caused him to be a man that actually chased after the heart of God. And we're, let me catch you up to where we are. We're in the part of David's life where um, the prophet Samuel has anointed David to be the next king over Israel. We talked last week about David as a young man, Uh, defeating Goliath, the giant of the Philistines. David's popularity is is rising, but there's there's one big problem here. The present king, which is King Saul, 
has become very jealous of David and wants him killed. And Saul has a son named Jonathan who is very godly and will go to all costs to save the life of David. Now, that's a true friend. And I want to look at this friendship that David had with Jonathan. And I want to look at the life of Jonathan and what an incredible godly friendship he was to David. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to spin this message to probably how you've never kind of heard it spun before. I want to, I want to look at their relationship because they had a very godly relationship. But I want to really look at Jonathan and what he did. Jonathan got it. And I want, to, I want us to look at their relationship as a picture of the church. And the way the church should be acting to one another. And I want to dig into how are our relationships? Are we really doing what God has called us to do? Do we really have godly relationships in our lives? Is church something that is just something we do? Or is it who we are? Are we really finding true fellowship within the church that is encouraging me? And causing me to grow. I think what can happen in the church is we can get very cynical and very critical. And it can cause, all, there, there can be a lot of things that can cause division within the church. Amen? There's a lot of things that we can try to hang our head on, a lot of silly stuff that we run after that only causes division that has nothing to do with Jesus and what he came for. And can I just say this to you this morning? I want to redirect our hearts this morning. Because I believe Jonathan was a great picture of how we are to act in the church, how we're to act under leadership, how we're to act when things don't necessarily go our way. How do we overcome jealousy and envy? And how do we overcome just bitterness in our lives that can destroy the body of Christ? Let me just say this. It is vital that we understand this because the world is watching us. And it's how we treat each other And how we show forgiveness in our relationship. This is our testimony and our witness to the world that God is doing something in our midst. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But it's how we work through those mistakes and how we forgive each other that is a shining example of Christ's forgiveness and love for us. That can be a wonderful testimony to the world around us. That the church is alive and well. And Jesus is working in our midst. So I'm going I'm to look at this in a different way. So what I want to do is I want to jump right into the word there. If you've got your Bibles, I want to look at 1 Samuel 18. I want to look at this relationship of David. We're going to look at the first nine verses. So if you've got your Bibles, you can use the Bibles in the pews. If you don't have one, those, that's our, our gift to you. Um, um, I would encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Or if you've got the Bible on a phone app, you can turn to that. Just so you know, I'm not reading something crazy. All right, so you can make sure that I'm reading the word of God myself. But I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18 and look at verses 1 through 9. And let's see this relationship that David had with Jonathan and what happened with King Saul here. So starting with verse 1, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully. So Saul gave him a high rank in the army 
This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet to meet King Saul with them, singing and dancing with joyful songs, with tambourines and lutes. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Ruh row. Uh-oh. So what happens here? Verse 8. It says, Saul was what? Very angry. This, ref- this refrain galled him. And they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. So what began to grip Saul's heart? Jealousy. Bitterness towards David. And what more can he get out of the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So what I want to do is I want to juxtapose also the attitude of Jonathan and the attitude of his father, Saul. And we can see the heart of what is going on here in a heart that's truly submitting to God and his ways and one that allows jealousy and envy to cause discord. And so I want to, I want us to understand that friendships are crucial. Do you realize that on average, um, women live eight, uh, six to eight years longer than men on average women. And, they're, and, they're, and they, there's a reason they believe there's a, a reason for that. It's because women kill their husbands off because they drive them nuts. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh, no, women have key friendships. And, and so I want to help you men to live longer. Okay. So you're welcome. All right. So I want to help you to live longer. The wives are like, Oh really? Thanks pastor. Sorry to drive me nuts now. But there's a couple of unique things about the friendship of David and Jonathan that I, I, I really want to bring out this morning. Most of us, most of us, let me just say this, most of us would think they're the same age, but they weren't. In fact, if, if, if you look through the scriptures and many scholars believe that they could be as much as 10 to 20 years difference between um, Jonathan and David. And so this, 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 this intrigues me. There's something about this that really intrigues me because... Because Jonathan, if you dig into this, Jonathan is the eldest son of Saul, which means he would have been the next in line for the kingship of Israel. He, the throne should have rightly have been his. David, you see, is a shepherd. He's from a lowly family. But David is anointed to be the next king of Israel. David killed Goliath, and you would think, that Jonathan would have hated David, yet the opposite is true. Jonathan actually treats David and loves him as a younger brother. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father, knowing how much even his father hated him at that point when jealousy gripped his father's heart. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, how was David's friendship with Jonathan a God-honoring friendship And how can we relate this to our lives and to the church today? Well, I want you to look at verse 1, because verse 1 says something very important. It says this, they were one in spirit. And, And what we can see here is that their friendship was a true model of what fellowship should look like. So so this is their friendship was a true model of fellowship. And so what the scriptures tell us is it says that. David and Jonathan walked in unity and they had the same purpose 
in honoring God. Now, this is very important because this is key. David understood what his role was, and Jonathan understood what his role was. Listen, David wasn't looking for the position of kingship. He wasn't jockeying for position. God called him out. God spoke to the prophet Samuel to anoint David to be the next king of Israel. Jonathan understood and saw this position in David and submitted not just to David, but ultimately to God's calling on David. And this is where we see this unity coming. That's why they had such a good friendship. There's a, there's a, there's a word in the New Testament for the word fellowship, and it's the Greek word koinonia. The word is used and occurs about 20 times in the New Testament. And basically it means to share or to have this fellowship. Now, koinonia, I believe, is vital for those that are in the family of God because we're, we're, we're to come together in love, faith, unity, and, and encouragement. And just before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this about his followers in John thirteen thirty five. He says, but everyone will know that you are my disciples by how you bicker with one another. Is that what it says? It says by how you love one another. Catch this. Jonathan loved David as himself. He submitted to God's will and God's plan in David's life. This shows the heart of Jonathan on wanting to honor God in that relationship. See, do we really understand what love is? Do we really, do we really get that? Because it's hard to love when we don't get our own way. See, when everything's going your way, it's easy, right? But when things aren't going our way, it's very hard to love unlovable people. When someone comes against you, when someone says something critical against you, it's so easy for us to defend ourselves and, and, and not show love in that situation. When people are loving us and, and they care about us, it's easy to love people. But when people come against us, and, and, and see, when people come against us, it will show the depth of who Christ really is in your heart and your life. Am, am I easily offended? If, if I'm easily offended at things, I've got to guard my heart because there's something in me that hasn't died. So if I'm easily offended, there's something in me that, that needs to change. I'm not, I'm not gripping the full extent of Christ's message to us and the gospel message that Jesus died for sinners. It's a humbling thing, isn't it, to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It should be a humbling thing. And so Jesus says, they're going to know that you're my servants by how you love one another. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any koinonia together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. See, what ultimately binds us together, it's our union with God. So how are we doing with that? See, see how am I loving? How, how am I living this out in my life? And I believe 
the way Jonathan lived it out showed this unity and submitting to the heart and the plan of God when he could have easily gotten jealous and angry and bitter because he should have been the one who should have been king. So what I, so, so the, the, the most powerful example that we see of koinonia or fellowship in the New Testament is when we see the phrase one another. We see this phrase one another over and over and over and over and over again. And so this is how love looks. This is how koinonia should look within the body of Christ. I'm just going to give you nine, but there's so many other examples. But let me just give you nine of, of what this looks like. Romans 12, 10 says this, that we are to be devoted to one another. That, that same verse, Paul emphasized that we're to honor one another. When you honor someone, you're putting someone above yourself, that you're not always the center of attention, that you actually give credit to somebody else and you honor them and you appreciate them for who they are in Christ. We're honoring the position that they have in our life. Are we doing that? Are we honoring one another? And so this is so important for us to to understand about keeping unity in the body of Christ. It also says that we are to live in harmony with one another. How many know about three-part harmony? If you've got someone that's off-key, it doesn't sound real good, right? When you hear people sing in harmony, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We walk in harmony with one another. 1 Peter 3.8, Romans 15.70, Paul says again, we're to accept one another. Galatians 5.13 says we're to serve one another. Ephesians 4.32 says we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.16 says we are to admonish one another. This means that, that we are to correct, that we are to counsel, that we are to reprove one another, that it's okay that we speak into each other's lives. This doesn't mean that you have a critical spirit about everything, but this means that if you see a brother or sister that you love dearly and you see something in their lives that you see is wayward, then out of love and out of God's grace, we are to speak into one another's lives. So we're to, we're to admonish um, one another. We're to encourage one another, Hebrews 3.13. First Peter 1.22 says we're to love one another. And see, this is true fellowship within the body of Christ should look like this. It's not, it's not just coming to church and, and sharing a meal and talking sports with another Christian. But what does fellowship look like? What's the example that we look like? Those nine things, that's the example of what true fellowship should look like. And what we can see In the relationship with David and Jonathan, we can see true fellowship in this friendship that that David had with Jonathan. And this is the reason why we can see this true fellowship is because they really were all about bettering the other person. It it, it just it it wasn't just this casual relationship where they, they just talked about sports and the weather and hobbies and whatever. They really were about encouraging each other in the Lord. And about their growth in the Lord. And that's what made that relationship. And we have to ask ourselves, is there anybody like that in my life? Is there anybody in my life? If you think, think right now, just think for a moment. Right now, if you wake up tomorrow and you're going through something, is there somebody that you can call 
another brother, another sister that you could call in a moment and say, hey, can you pray for me? Because I'm going through a difficult time. If you don't have that person in your life, let me encourage you to take that next step and get into fellowship with either other men or other women. You were not meant to live your life in isolation. See, the reason why, let me speak from men's side because I'm a man. Um, so let me, let me speak from, from our side. Men are very, tend to be very isolated. They, 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 tend, to, you know, they, they tend not to want to open up a lot, right? Um, women tend to, to, to have that more easily where they can tend to open up. Men tend to be more isolated and don't want to, you know, either for whatever reason, for whatever reason, um, you, you know, they just don't want to do it. Pride or, or, or just don't want people getting in their business or want to be judged or whatever. But let me tell you, it is so important that we have true fellowship with one another, men. And I would encourage you to take that next step. Listen, we've got a men's Bible study on Wednesday nights now. Last study was incredible. I would encourage you, if you've never taken a step, to step into a men's study. We have a Thursday morning study we have at 6.30 here, if you're available to come early in the morning or Wednesday nights. I would just encourage you to do that. I have seen more growth in men in small groups. When I see men take that step and go in small groups, it's amazing to me to see their growth, not only in their relationships with one another, but in their relationship with God. It's so important to do it. So I, I just would encourage you to take, um, take that next step. Because here, here's, here's why I would say that. I, I believe that their friendship, was a, David and Jonathan's friendship, was a true model of discipleship. So, 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 so let, me, let, me, let me dive into this. Let, I believe this is a true model of discipleship. Um, Jonathan does something very significant in verse 4 of chapter 18. What, what he does here, he's before David, and he strips himself of his robe, his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Why is this so significant? This is huge. This is absolutely huge. See, David should have been more of a threat to Jonathan than his father Saul. Jonathan would have been the right heir to the throne. And so what does Jonathan do? Here's what Jonathan does. He strips himself of the right to actually be the leader. His actions are actually laced with political overtones by what he does there. And so he makes this symbolic gesture All the outward signs of a king are now given to David. He says, I strip myself of all this stuff and I lay them at at your feet. Complete political overtones by saying, I'm recognizing you now as the king. I know what God is doing and I'm recognizing you. In fact, um, 1 Samuel 23, I, I, I want you to see how Jonathan explicitly makes this point so true. And I, and I love, I love, I love what he says here. Let me just, let me just read it for you. In verse 17 of chapter 23, he says this, he says, don't be afraid. He said, my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Put himself second. 
That's someone that understands discipleship. That's someone that understands who God puts in a position that you are supposed to honor. This is one thing that my parents instilled in me. They said, Bard, you may not like your teacher. You may not like your boss. But you're to honor their position. And you're, you are to show respect. Let's be careful, church, on how we share our opinions that have nothing to do with the message of Jesus Christ. Can we just be careful? Because I know we have a lot of platforms in social media today. Tons of platforms that we can share our opinions. And I've seen more divisiveness over the last five years than I've ever seen in my 28 years of ministry because of social media. Let's be careful. Let's be careful that we're not ripping down walls instead of building walls amongst the body of Christ. I'm telling you, the world is watching us and how we handle these situations. So let's, let's protect that with all our hearts and all our minds as we try to protect the purity of the fellowship of the church, even in a politically charged, overcharged, on steroids charged political scene. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Okay. Let's, let's be careful. I, I remember Kathleen and we lived in South Carolina for eight years. Um, it was interesting that the, the culture is, is different, obviously, than the North. Um, and one of the things in the cultures there is they always call you sir or ma'am. So when I first went down there, I'm like, I'm in my 20s and they're calling me sir. I'm like, listen, I'm not, you know, 90 years old. You don't have to call me sir. But they would call me sir out of respect. And it was interesting. They'd always call you by your last name. They always said Mr. Gerace or Mr. Gerace. And if they called you by your first name, they always added on the mister. So they called me Mr. Barden or, or Miss Kathleen. And if, if a parent caught their child calling me by my first name or not saying Pastor Barden or Mr. Barden or Mr. Drace, they would get, they would get scolded. They would get corrected right away. It was just this culture of showing honor and respect for um, adults, for, for those um, that were over them. And I thought that was, I thought that was uh, interesting, a little bit different here um, in the North, but they're very, uh, they're, they're taught to honor those that, that, that are in authority. Um, let me, let, let me give you the process of discipleship here that, that I believe Jonathan um, witnessed. Um, we need to understand about honoring those in authority over us because the, the word of God tells us, because ultimately when we're doing that, we're, we're ultimately honoring God. Jonathan didn't say, I can do a better job. Jonathan, Jonathan didn't say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to David. Um, maybe Jonathan could have done a better job, but he understood that God placed David in that position. See, God chose to anoint David to be the leader of Israel. Was David perfect? No. Did he make a lot of mistakes? You better believe it. Could Jonathan have done a better job? Maybe. See, I want you to get the, the greater picture here. I want you to get the greater picture here. David points to a greater need for us to submit to the person of Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at what it truly means to be a good follower 
of Jesus Christ. Because I believe we see a wonderful example of this friendship of David and Jonathan. And I want to see what it means to be this follower of Jesus Christ. So, so what, do we, what, do we, what do we learn here? Well, a good disciple is a faithful follower. A good disciple is a faithful follower. Jonathan recognized God's anointing David as king. And, you know, he understood that he is this faithful, faithful follower. And so the, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is how, how am I doing at being a follower? How am I doing with that? How, how am I doing... Um, we may not like the way people do things or whatever, but how am I doing at being, am I, am I respecting the position? Um, do my kids hear me disrespecting a teacher, an authority figure? Let me tell you, if you do that in front of your children, they're going to have a very difficult time respecting those in authority over them. If you're a teacher or you work in the school system, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I think it's important. That doesn't mean we agree with maybe some of the things that are going on, but it's the way we act towards that. And so what Jonathan did was he submitted himself under the authority of King David and said, you know what? I am second. So how are we at sitting under God's word and, and allowing people to lead that need to lead? How, how well are we doing at praying for those that are in leadership positions that need God's wisdom and guidance in the way they lead? See, those are the things we have to think about. How am I encouraging those around me? How am I encouraging those that, that teach my children those leaders that are over my kids, my boss, those are me. How, what, how am I doing to encourage them and to say, you know what? I know you've got a really tough position and I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you. Imagine if you said that to your boss. They'd be like, what? Just say, I know you got it tough. And you're thinking in your back of your mind, man, this guy or this woman, she... I don't agree with everything they do, but I want them to know that I'm at least praying for them. How, how are we doing at being a follower? Not everybody can be a leader. Not everybody can be in charge. But you know what? We can do a lot better job at, at being followers. And creating that unity. That doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but how are we at encouraging each other, working those things out in love, putting up with our, our, our inconsistencies in our life? Are we doing that with love? And are we trying to build unity within the body of Christ to allow Christ to shine in our midst? That doesn't mean we're never going to go through difficulties or that doesn't mean we're never going to disagree. But how are we doing? Is it a critical spirit? Is it a demeaning spirit? Are we bringing division within the body or are we building the body up by how we serve? That's what we can see in the life of Jonathan. See, I want you to get the greater picture here. Because ultimately what David does is that David points to, to Jesus for us, the perfect and true king. And so we have this choice. We have this choice when it comes to Jesus. We can submit to him or we don't have to. He's not going to get you in a headlock. He's not going to get you in a full Nelson. He's not going to get you to say uncle, right? 
Um, But what are we doing to submit to him? See, this is what we see in Saul and Jonathan. One rejects David. One submits to God's call in his life. One clings to his power and still wants to be in control. And one gives up his right to the throne to submit to God. At the end, Saul loses everything and Jonathan gains everything by getting protection for his family and his future. David actually promises the covenant that David and Jonathan make. David actually promises to preserve the future of Jonathan's house. And Jonathan and David make a covenant with each other to bind this relationship. And David keeps his promises. David kept his promise to Jonathan. Jonathan has a son, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is, is five when Jonathan dies in battle. And fearing for his life, the nurse that's carrying Mephibosheth drops him. And uh, which led Mephibosheth to be crippled in both feet. And years later, David, wanting to keep his promise, asked about any family members of Jonathan, and they found Mephibosheth. And from that moment, Mephibosheth began to eat at the king's table, just like it was one of David's own sons. So my question to you this morning is this. It's number one, what are we doing to bring unity within the body of Christ? Do you have relationships in your life where you're allowing people to speak into your heart, into your life? Can, can you point to somebody in your life that says, man, I can call that person or that, that person knows me and, and I can share things with that person? Or someone's going to speak into my life. Someone's got my back. Someone's going to point out things in my life. Someone has access to my heart and life. I, I, I'm, so you say, well, Pastor, do you do that? I do. I do. Um, I, I have a friend that I've been friends with since college. We call each other once a week. And I told Ray, I said, Ray, you can ask me any question in my life. can ask me any question. And so we're accountable to each other. And we've had this friendship ever since college. And I appreciate that he's a person that I can call that I can allow. The Lord spoke to me about five, six, seven years ago that I felt like I needed to have people in my life that would pray for me and lift me up. And there's, there's, there's a person that I have in my life that prays for me once a month. That comes into my office and praise me for about an hour and a half. I appreciate that relationship. See, I need it. Because I can wander like anybody else. So if you feel alone and isolated in your walk with Christ, you feel like you're not growing, it's because you haven't opened up your life to maybe somebody else to speak. And that's what I love about this relationship with Jonathan and David, that they were open to each other. So where are you with that? The third question I want to ask you is, where are you with the kingship of Jesus? Um, This is my takeaway. Do you relate to King Jesus more like Jonathan or more like Saul? Are you you having trouble submitting? (laughs) Are you having trouble letting go of control because you want to be in control of your life? You can't be a follower of Jesus until you let go of control and just say, 
Christ, I need you to take control of my life. I've, I've already done a really bad job of it myself. And I need you to take control. And that's when you submit to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. And you say, I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my leader. I need your forgiveness in my life because of my waywardness. And that's where repentance and forgiveness, that God comes in and brings healing to us. See, what, 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 what David, what Jonathan did is I think we need to get this picture is we need to take off our belt. We need to lay down our sword. We need to take off our rope and we need to lay it at the feet of King Jesus and say, Jesus, you're one, I'm two. I'm second to you. I'm, sec- I'm gonna put myself behind you. And that's a lordship issue. And Jonathan recognized that lordship issue in his life. He settled it by laying those things down at David's feet. Have you settled the lordship issue? Who's in control of your life? Jesus says, when you come to me and you settle that lordship issue, everything changes. And so if Jesus is truly Lord in our life, if he's our savior, then let's live it out in our lives and by how we treat one another, how we serve each other, how we submit to one another, how we speak into each other's lives. I believe wholeheartedly that the relationship of David and Jonathan is a perfect example of how we are to act within the body of Christ. And I believe when we do that, Christ is glorified We love each other the way Christ desires us to love each other and we're a wonderful witness to the world that we don't have to cover our shame and our mistakes. We can say, hey, we make mistakes, but we know how to forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. And we live that out in the way we treat one another. So let's be the church that Christ has called us to be. And as we submit to the Lordship of of Jesus Christ, and we submit to one another, he is glorified in our midst, and it brings the body of Christ together. What a wonderful witness to the world. And I I, want to answer the prayer of Jesus that they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Amen? That's true fellowship in the way we share with one another and the way we treat one another. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your hearts with me and let me pray for you today? With every heart bowed, heads bowed today, how many would you say, Pastor Barden, I, I need to settle the lordship issue in my heart. I'm struggling with that lordship issue of just submitting to Christ. I want to pray for you today. Is there anyone here today that would just by the raised hand would say, Pastor, I, I, need, I want to settle that today. I need to bow to Christ. Amen. 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 Let him take control. Let him take control of your life. Thank you for being bold and allowing your heart to recognize the need to allow Christ to take that lordship issue in your heart. I want to pray for those of you also are just maybe struggling in relationships. Maybe, maybe you've been in the church and someone in the church hurt you and it's wounded you deeply and you're still carrying that wound with you because it wasn't someone in the world. It was someone in the church and those wounds tend to hurt those wounds tend to go much deeper than someone in the world hurting us. How many of you would say, I need to submit to the Lordship of Christ in that area of my life? I've got a wound in my life. I'm going to be honest. And I need the Lord to deal with it. Anyone just by the raise hand say, Pastor, that's me. Amen. Let, let God deal with it. Give it to him. 
as you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, allow him to deal with your heart so you can offer forgiveness. As Christ has forgiven you, we also need to forgive one another. Amen. Amen. And I want to pray for you too, that just to, for those that need to take that next step and, and, and really pray for relationships that are true fellowship relationships that will cause you to grow. I want to pray for boldness for you to take that next step. I don't ever want you to feel alone at Living Word because you don't have to be. You don't have to feel that way. And I want to pray for boldness that you would take that next step in your walk with Him. So let me pray for you. Lord, we just bow before you now and I thank you for those that want to commit to you by submitting their life to you by saying, I want you to be Lord over my life. I need you, Jesus. Thank you. You've done everything for me. That you're my Savior. You're the one that died for me. So Lord, thank you for those that are submitting their hearts to you, submitting their lives to you to be king over their lives. We drop all our pretension, all our stuff, and we lay them at your feet right now, Jesus. Be the Lord of our life. I pray for those that are just hanging on to bitterness, maybe some baggage in their past from someone that's hurt them, Lord. I pray that God, they would, they would realize that you've forgiven them and let them walk in that forgiveness today as they offer forgiveness to those that have hurt them. And Lord, I pray for those that just need boldness to take that next step. Lord, I pray that they would do that, that, they, that you would give them the strength to take that next step to, to walk in true fellowship and to get plugged into a group, Lord, to, to, to find those friendships that will help them truly grow in you. And we need that today, God. In a discouraging world, we need those brothers and sisters that will gather around us that we know that we can talk to, that we can pray with, that are going to encourage us in the Lord. We need that, God. And so we can't do it without the fellowship of the family of God. So help us to be the church, Lord. So I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the example that we have in David and Jonathan. We love you. We thank you. And we just give our hearts to you. As we just sing this song in closing, I just pray this would be our prayer to you today. So we just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name.